We welcome you to Hearing the Voice of God. I think we're in session four. Tonight's title is God Speaks Through Experience, Circumstances, and Natural Means. And the subtitle is a lot more fun than that. A potter's house, a burning bush, and a donkey. Which one are you? No, <laughs> um, that's really not. A lot of times I like to say that, but that's not really the thing. But that is the theme, a potter's house, a burning bush, and a donkey. Let's look at the verses. If you're new to this kind of series, I will let you know when you're going to fill in your blanks. The verse I chose at the top, trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Can I get an amen for that one? Oh my goodness, that is just what I needed today. Um, one of my elders told me today, that's on heaven, Pastor Rhonda. It's not on you. And I said, yes, listen for God's voice in everything you do and everywhere you go. He's the one who will keep you on track. Don't you love it that it's on God to keep you on track? We have our part don't assume that you know it all. Someone say, don't assume that you know it all, but run to God. And that's Proverbs 3 and 5, and we use MSG for the Message Bible. Um, that's not the thing they put in Chinese food. Just want you to know that. Um, for as many are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons and the daughters of God. Romans 8 and 14. Isn't it wonderful that it's human nature to second-guess hard decisions? Super hard, difficult. That's human nature. And isn't it wonderful that God is gracious enough to give us this whole system to help us figure it out? Is anybody happy about that? I'm very happy. So hang with me. We're talking about how God speaks through circumstances. On December 26, 2004, the largest earthquake ever recorded by seismograph occurred deep beneath the Indian Ocean, producing the energy equivalent of 23,000 of Hiroshima-type atomic bombs. It registered 9.1 magnitude on the Richter scale, and the shock waves produced tsunami waves more than 100 feet in height, oh my, traveling 500 miles per hour and reaching a radius of 3,000 miles. Someone say 3,000 miles. This is a cool story. Hang in there. This deadliest tsunami in history claimed 227,898 lives. But one people group living right in its path miraculously survived without a single casualty. They're called the Mokans. Everyone say the Mokans. They are an Austronesian ethnic group that maintains a nomadic sea-based culture. Maybe you'll want to be a part of their tribe after I tell you about them. They live on the open sea from birth to death. Their handcrafted wooden boats called kabang, everyone say kabang, function as houseboats for these sea gypsies. Mokan children learn to swim before they learn to walk. They can see twice as clearly underwater as landlubbers. And if there were an underwater breath-holding contest, it would be no contest. But it wasn't any of these skills that saved them from the tsunami. What saved them was their intimacy with the ocean. Hang with me. The Mokan know its mood and messages better than any oceanographer. Reading ocean waves the way we read street signs. On the day of the earthquake, an amateur photographer from Bangkok was taking pictures of the Mokan tribe when she became concerned by what she saw. As the sea started to reside, many of the Mokan were crying. They knew what was about to happen. They recognized that the birds had stopped chirping. And the, is it cicadas? Cicadas, I wasn't sure about that, had gone silent. And the elephants were heading toward higher ground. I want you to say they were used to reading the signs. And the dolphins were swimming farther and farther. So what did the Mokan do? 
Those who were near the coast of Thailand beached their boats and hiked to the highest elevation possible. Those who were out at sea sailed even further into the ocean, into the deep ocean, because they knew the tsunami, when it passed the deep ocean, would be mentalized as it passed them. The Burmese, Burmese, those people, fishermen in the same vicinity as the Mokan were blindsided and had no survivors. The Mokan said the problem with the Burmese fishermen were they were collecting squid and the Mokans were listening to the signs. They didn't know how to look. They didn't know how to listen. Dr. Hinsharani, an anthropologist who speaks Mokan, said the, the Mokan said the water received very fast and one wave, everyone say one wave. One small wave came, so they recognized it was not ordinary. One small wave, really? Really? That's what saved the whole tribe? Amazing as it seems, that's all it took, because the Mokan were one with the ocean, and they still are to this day. They had an ancient legend that there was passed down from generation to generation about a wave called Laboon, the wave that eats people, and they perceived that was it. And on an interesting trivia before we move on in this wonderful story, the Mokan don't know how old they are because they have no concept of time. They don't have a word for when. They don't have a word for hello or goodbye. And although we might view that as a logistic liability, it's more than mere coincidence that the Mokans don't have a word for worry. There you have it. <laughs> there you have it. Yeah, they're a real tribe. They're real people, and that's a real story. The Mokan are a metaphor. We're kind of like these people. These people speak the language of the sea, but we can learn the language. Everyone say the language of the Spirit. And one way Holy Spirit deals with us is through circumstances, through open doors and closed doors, kind of sign language. Now, Jesus warned against signs and wonders serving as the litmus test of faith. But God does often speak when we're quiet and we're listening. But Jesus did say there's value to following them. Remember Pharaoh in Egypt? If, if he, ignored, he ignored the 10 miracles that were the ancient equivalent of flashing neon signs, you're in trouble, Pharaoh, you're going to lose your firstborn son, he ignored it. How'd that work out for him? What if Noah had ignored the forecast? What if Joseph had disregarded Pharaoh's dream? What if Moses had walked away from the burning bush without stopping? What if the wise men had dismissed the stars? What if Saul had mistaken his vision when Jesus appeared to him on the Damascus road as some kind of equestrian accident? If Noah had ignored the sign, the Adam and Eve lineage would have been gone forever. God would have had to reinvent people, which he could have done, but he chose not to. If Joseph had disregarded Pharaoh's dream, two nations would have been destroyed. If Moses had kept walking and not heeded the sign of the burning bush, there would have been no deliverance. I want to say to you and submit to you out of the gate tonight that God gives signs. They're not just for you, but they are this, for the saving of many people. You never know how God's going to speak to you through situations in your life. Can I get an amen? Listen, signs are very subject to interpretation. I want to say that. We have to be careful that we read them and we don't read into them. We'll, we'll move on. So I want to say you right now. I want to say you. I want to say you right now, yeah, if you're listening to me, yeah. I want to say that if you marry someone based on a fortune cookie, you are crazy. Come on. If you buy a house because of fortune cookies, they go, oh, today they're going to come to you. Big opportunity. You know what I mean? Just look away. Someone say look away. It also includes, and buckle your seatbelts, horoscopes, tarot cards, etc. are occultic in nature. We are not to follow them. Can I get an amen? God speaks through circumstances. So number one, this is our hope right here. 
We're going to have several blanks, so we'll pause for each one. When the Holy Spirit comes, Jesus said he will teach. That's your first one. He will teach you all things. How wonderful to have a teacher. I'll, I'll talk just a second about some of these, and we'll keep moving. Because the disciples walked with Jesus. He taught them, and they were so dismayed when he was going to go to heaven. He said, I'm, it's better that I go, that he will come. He called him the spirit of truth, and he will teach you all things. Has something ever come to your mind? Let's do the next one. He will remind you of everything I said to you. He will testify about me. I love that. And the last one, and he will guide you. Teach, testify, guide, and remind um, let's uh, say that together. Everyone say, teach, testify, remind, and guide. It's so wonderful that the Holy Spirit is all of that to us. He can teach us like the Mokan tribe listens to the language of the ocean waves. The Holy Spirit can teach us how to learn of him, how to be taught. They had Jesus, but when he went, Jesus said, it's better because you're going to have this internal guide, this person. When you receive Jesus Christ, I want you to say, I receive the person of the Holy Spirit. Don't get caught up in the gifts and fruits. That's another teaching. You received a person, a person that will teach you truth. You ever been going through something, you're talking something, all of a sudden just someone pops, pops into your head. Did someone preach Sunday or a verse you read four years ago or a song? You're like, where did that come from? It came from him. Give the Holy Spirit a hand tonight because it's true. None of us are that smart. You think these things just roll off of our tongues? It is him. Some of us have just learned the spirit way of, of lifting or leaning into him. Even Jesus, it said, was vindicated, vindicated by the truth of the Holy Spirit. When other people tried to tell Jesus who he was and who he was not, Holy Spirit helped him. I want to tell you something real quick. Two weeks ago, we talked about prompting of the Holy Spirit. You might remember that, how you get that inner witness. I left here. I went by Cook's Food Store. When I was at Cook's Food Store, it came to my mind that some ministry friends of mine were under severe attack. Severe, severe, severe attack. I got in my car, and I thought, I need to call Michael. Well, I, I, I call my kids about a lot of things. I didn't call Courtney because she's putting Skylar down. Christine was with her friends ruling the nations of the social world. Amen. Um, so I called Michael, but there was a bigger reason. Everyone say bigger reason. Bigger reason I called Michael. This was a prompting. So I get Michael, and I'm talking to Michael about it because he knew about it. I just wanted to you know, talk to someone I trusted about these friends because my heart was so burdened. And he said, now, you remember I had a dream. And I said, when? He goes, into January. I told you about it. I told you about that dream. I said, tell me again. He told me, but I said, top that dream up. Well, if it had been me, I'll be honest with you. I've got some people still waiting for dreams from me. But the next morning in my email was that dream. What's funny is one of the people involved in this ministry I'd had on my mind had a prompting to call them um, the next day. When that dream came through, it had specific words that these people had dreamed, follow me, in December, the Lord had said, you will emerge unscathed from this attack. In this dream, Michael uses the word about this ministry and uses the word unscathed. When I contact friends, there were several of them involved in this situation and told them, of course, they were in tears because the dream interpreted everything that had happened the two months before. Plus, the Lord used the word unscathed in the dream. 
Michael doesn't use this word, and these people said they never use that word. Isn't it wonderful how the Holy Spirit works ahead of us, and he gives us these things? Someone give him a hand clap of praise because it's so good. Next thing, circumstances are those events that stand around or surround our life. You say, oh, Pastor, you don't have to put that in there. I know what circumstances are. But I think the definition is cool. The word circumstance is composed of two parts. Circum, meaning around, and stance, meaning to stand. So it's those things, everyone say, those things that surround me. It means that God can speak to you through the things around you. This morning on my prayer walk, um, this woman on the greenway was ahead of me. There's all kind of dogs. And there's these dogs, like German Shepherd. There's these dogs that I don't know if they flew up to New York City and saw Caesar Milan or whatever. You know, the owners go, heal. They'll go, move to the left. And I'm like, whoa, I never had a child that behaved that way. I mean, it's just crazy. I mean, and, and, and then they'll off, off the leash and I'll look like, is it okay to pass? Because some of them look scared. They go, oh no, we're totally good here. Johnny boy, sit back. I, I mean, it's crazy. So I enjoy watching those. But this morning, there was this woman walking in front of me, this young woman, and she had a, a puppy. I found out it was 13 weeks. That puppy was like somebody had given it the fidgety, and it was going over here, and then she was following it over here, and it's like, oh, there's a flower, oh, there's a bird. There's a, I mean, it was just, I mean, watching it, I couldn't stop laughing. And I said, Holy Spirit, that's how a lot of us feel. We passed the German shepherd's heel. God said, move. But we're like, oh, there's a flower, there's a bug, there's a, there's a tortoise. I don't know if God's speaking to me, or should I eat a cracker? Should I eat a cookie? Should I eat a piece of chocolate cake? I don't know what's going on here. Anybody with me? Give me a hand for that illustration. But it really blessed me because sometimes I feel like that puppy. Anybody with me? Passing all the generals in faith that are just like, I heard God speak. While I was cooking an egg, Sarah and Abraham appeared above the skillet. I mean, I've had people to tell me that. I'm like, whoa, I'm not coming to your house. If Sarah and Abraham are there, I am so good. Holy Spirit, I love Sarah and Abraham. I want to keep in paradise. Come on, somebody. But you know, that's the way we often feel in that puppy. But when I got past it, I said, she is such a dog. Because I almost wanted to tell her the analogy. That is just so me. I'm exhorting. The Holy Spirit said, just keep walking. She does not want to hear that. Um, but I said, you know, 13, yes, 13 weeks. And she's driving me crazy. But she was so t- kind and tender with this little this part dachshund is what caught my attention. It was just going everywhere. And that's the way Holy Spirit is with He is kind. He wants to help us. He wants to guide us. He doesn't expect you to be anybody but who you are. And he will help you to hear him. He is awesome. Amen. Number three, a wise person possesses the skill, we're talking about circumstances, of being able to hear God speak through the events of everyday life and through godly wisdom discern the meaning. Now, I I just want to say this. Please don't think I'm being silly on purpose because I don't ever know if I'm going to be silly, serious, mad, sad, or cry when I speak. I don't know. But I want to tell you, I could be real mystical this morning and see that puppy and, you know, get off on some left wing of we're all puppies emerged from another country, you know. Um, in another world, we're all puppies. I've seen people just get crazy. I want you to say God is practical. He's practical as much as he is awesome and mighty and mystical. So powerful. But think about this. Moses has been in the desert for 40 years. Everyone say 40 years. In the book of Exodus. Now, nothing has been heard from him. Please don't overlook this. It's so powerful. Remind yourself every time the devil says, you've done nothing with your life. You're running out of time. He had been 
And he always speaks in a deep voice. He'd been in the desert for 40 years. Someone say 40 years. 40 years. No word is said of him from the time he murders in Egypt and goes on the run. Nothing. 40 years later, he appears in the book of Exodus. All we know is he married Jethro's daughter. And it says that Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert. Everyone say the backside. I mean, it's bad enough you're in the desert, but now you're going to go to the backside of the desert. Come on. God's got a sense of humor. He'll find you on the backside of nowhere. Can I get an amen? And right there on a day he didn't expect it, a morning he just got up, put on his long gown and his headpiece and his sandals and his big staff. He had no idea after 40 years that God was going to interrupt him and everything was going to change. Don't you love a God that can surprise you? He does not give you a memo. I mean, there are some certain moments in your life you'll wake up with, God's going to do something today. But most of the days God has done something, I did not know. Can I get an amen? And it said that the bush was burning. I know you know the story, but say it. The bush was burning. And it was not being consumed. And uh, Moses said, I will turn aside. That's the key right there. Sometimes you've got to turn aside or turn away from something to hear what God is saying. God can speak through a movie. Yes, he can. Hopefully a PG rated, but let's keep moving. Uh, But but hey, Schindler's List and Saving Private Ryan, two of my favorites. Um, God has spoken to me so many times through those two movies. But God can speak. We have to turn away. And so the the bush would not be consumed. So Moses stepped up and then came the words in, in Hebrew, Aramaic, Moshe, Moshe, which means Moses, Moses. And God calls him to go back into Egypt and deliver his people. God can appear any way he wants to appear and any way he wants to appear. But we have to pause to turn aside. When you think turn aside, what do you think? I think it's to turn away from something, don't you? Sometimes just to pause, maybe. Let's say pause. Pause. Lord, what are you saying? One thing that you can do not to make this heavy is, uh, I try to do this every morning. If I don't, Lord, forgive me. But I say, Lord, help me to see you in this day, to go where you want me to go. Help me to hear what you're saying to me this day, however you want to say it. On your paper, it says, everywhere we look, there are pictures that are not really pictures, but windows. God can be seen and heard through these windows. Everyone say windows. God told Jeremiah, I got to tell you something mighty. Not go down to the synagogue, not go down to the ministry school, not go down with the rabbi, but go to the potter's house. It's like God telling you to go to Ace Hardware. Do you get the picture? And there I shall speak to you among the hammers and the nails, says the Lord. It can happen. But at any way, he went being obedient. And when he got there, he watched the potter at the wheel. And I've preached on potter, Pastor Hank did too, so many times. But as he watched him work the vessel and remake it, the Lord said, I am remaking Israel into something beautiful. God speaks in these powerful ways. Can I get an amen? Um, on your paper is another verse underneath that. I was young and now I'm old, yet I have never what? Amen. There you go. Never seen their children out begging for bread. Why do I love this? There was people, and listen to me, there was people who wrote, you may or may not know this, there's a wisdom literature class you take in seminaries, how I know it, but you, um, who wrote the wisdom books, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Job, and then there's some wisdom Psalms. Everyone say wisdom Psalms. 
These people were called observers. In fact, they're referred to that many times. What does observers mean? Well, they would observe things and then they would write about it. Like that's in the Proverbs, Solomon was observing a young man being led away by an immoral girl. We could all say a young woman being led away by an immoral man. And he watched it and he observed what happened and the trap and the temptation and he became an anointed observer. And then he wrote the Proverbs under the direction of the Holy Spirit saying, this is what will happen to you. I saw this happen. We still do that by when we see things. We God speaks to us in Proverbs. Maybe you see someone, you ever see someone take care of their elderly parent? Oh, that crushes me every time. It's just so beautiful, the love and the kindness Psalms 37, I just read, is one of the wisdom psalms. What, what David was saying is, I've seen things in the world. I've seen um, people not have enough or be in battle or have attacks. David was under attack. But I've never seen those who invest in the kingdom of God, their children out begging for bread. Well, I know I have to play devil's advocate. Excuse me, Pastor Rhonda, but I haven't gotten that red Ferrari yet. I said needs, not wants. Can you say needs? needs and God will desire some or give you some of your wants too but the need what he was saying is I've observed life and those who invest in the kingdom that means through a window he saw the wisdom of God God can speak that way one of my favorite things about Pastor Hank when we just had Frazier Freeman in our men's rehab uh, Frazier was really just saved out of the gutter by Pastor Hank and Jesus out of heroin, Frazier became a big part of this church and love him. He's back in Oklahoma now. But uh, Pastor Hank would always say this proverb until everyone he helped could quote it back to him. If Frazier would call and say, I'm late, I overslept, we knew it was coming. A little sleep, a little more slumber, would say Pastor Hank. A little folding of the hands to rest. Then poverty will pounce on you like a bandit and scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. Proverbs 24. There you go. But what Pastor Hank was saying is that every time, you know, Frazier say, I'm tired. He'd say a little sleep, a little slumber till Frazier. But what Pastor Hank was teaching him is the proverb says, if you don't work, you don't eat. If you don't work, you won't have anything. You can just be lazy or rest all the time. And rest is a gift from God. But in its extreme, it's not good. Everyone say, amen. Look at your neighbor and say, she's not talking to you. Not at all. Not at all. So you say, well, okay, Pastor Rhonda, I'm not David. I'm not a scripture writer. I love the famous poem of Elizabeth Barrett Browning, and I didn't get it for years in lit literature. Earth's cramped with heaven and every common bush afire with God, but only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest just sit around and pluck blackberries. What does that mean? It means that sometimes we're busy in life and we don't see the burning bushes. We don't hear the whispers in the storm. Holy Spirit wants to help us. The voice of God speaks through experiences, but when we hear it, we just have to pause, like we talk about in dreams, and write it down. Look at your neighbor and say, write it down. So here's a cool story I think you'll like. Hang with me. My friend in Texas lost her husband to heaven in December. They pastored an incredible church, Rockwall. I've preached there twice. Love it in Dallas. And she's a dear friend. But years ago, in praying about what the theme of her ladies' conference would be, she woke up one morning with the phrase, you complete me. She told her husband, Mike, about the theme. He gave two thumbs up, said, hey, let's go to the Galleria. Like most men, he got on a task. Let's go to the Galleria. You can sit and watch the skaters. I'll get some Starbucks. We'll pay a bill. 
So they went, she set up, was watching people. She watched her husband go into Starbucks and she sees this very thin, very attractive woman. This is not going a bad place, walking in and she's talking. And Mike was very person, a people person, loved Pastor Mike. And he's a lot like Pastor Hank. And he's talking to this woman. And all of a sudden, Vicky looks down and said, oh my gosh, I hope I get her name right. That's Renee Zellweger, Zell? Zellweger, the actress. And so they, they're talking for a while. They come out. They come up to the skating thing where she's sitting. And, and she says, so you're pastors. And she's so kind and so gracious, talks to Vicky. And then Vicky said, it's so funny because I just decided this morning to call my conference, You Complete Me, which was a famous line from one of her movies, if you remember. Uh, the movie's got some bad spots. Just don't go home and look that up, okay? Um, but she said it was so cool that she already knew that's what she wanted to do. And she runs into the actress that is synonymous with the line, you complete me. She didn't write it off that movie. She wrote it off of, which she talks about her journey as a widow. They pastored. You are complete in him, Colossians 2 and 10, who is the head of all principality and power. Jesus completes us. And for that, we say, Amen. Number four, the apostles thought that their appeal to experience strengthened their credibility rather than weakened it. We're almost to the main part of where we're going to camp tonight. Their appeal. Now, what does that mean? Underneath there, it says, never underestimate what we have heard. Will you say with me what we have heard, what we have seen, and what our hands have touched? This is why I want to say, never underestimate your testimony. That the apostles did not undervalue or underestimate their ability to say, we saw Jesus. We walked with him. We talked with him. We touched things with him. We know who he is. Our experience is that he is alive. Yes, the word of God says it. And you can quote the word to people all day long. But Sonia, when you tell them, you know, you should have a two-minute testimony, a five-minute testimony, a 20-minute, a 30-minute. And I'm going to work on that later in the year on a Wednesday night because it's so powerful. Because my husband told his two-minute testimony everywhere he went. I mean, he didn't even plan it. It just came thundering out of his mouth. Still, I run into people. I know y'all were divorced for three years. You remarried. You came crawling back to him like a dog. I said, that's not how it happened. <laughs> but the truth is, it's your testimony. You don't have to say, hey, I killed someone. I served four years at Rikers. <laughs> In fact, Criminal Minds is based upon my life. No, um, you don't have to say that. What you say is, you know, whatever that situation is. You know, there was a time in my life my child was sick. I tell you, we were so scared. We didn't know how we'd get through that. But I'm going to tell you, God helped me and strengthened me. How many know testimonies never grow old. Your experience, what you have seen of God, you don't have to be a theologian. You don't even have to quote scripture. All you got to say is, I just want to tell you what God did for me. He is my strength. I want to tell you what God did for my friend. That's when circumstances surround you. Everyone say amen. Okay, now we're going to get into the donkey. Are you ready to get into the donkey? Number five, circumstantial evidence is the most suspect of all the witnesses. There's several witnesses to hearing the voice of God. Um, Godly counsel is one. Prophecy, the written word above all things and, and in all things must be one of the witnesses. We won't get into all of those, but circumstantial evidence is that. But suspect doesn't mean what you think. It means regard it with a question and treat it as suspicious. I want you to say regard it 
as a question and treat it as suspicion. Never base a decision solely on circumstances. Let circumstances confirm what God's already telling you. That's when it works so powerfully. So let's get into the donkey. Some of you probably know where we're going with this. In Numbers 22, it offers insight how God uses circumstances. Everyone say circumstances to give us direction. During their trek across the wilderness, the Israelites have destroyed the Amorites, and now they're threatening the Moabites. Don't worry about that. They were enemies. Alarmed that their very existence could be at stake, the king of the Moabites, Balak, or Balak, however you want to say it, sent for Balaam, a prophet. Everyone say a prophet. Known for his powers, don't miss this, in pronouncing blessings and cursing. His commission from King Balak was to curse the children of Israel so Moab would not be annihilated. Balaam refused the invitation, but finally he was granted a release from God and he agreed to travel to Moab. His one provision was that he would only say what God told him to say. Numbers 22 and 21 say, and buckle your seatbelt, Balaam got up in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the princes of Moab, but God was very angry when he went. Everyone say angry. This brief passage gives us a glimpse into the heart and mind of God that God sometimes will allow you to move ahead in your own desires even if it displeases him and angers him. At times, God will answer our insistent prayers, not because it's his will, but because it's our will. I'll give you what you want, often God told Israel, even if it means you eventually are detoured by it and choke on it. Sometimes the worst thing that can happen is when we just keep pushing and pushing on doors and demanding that something goes this way or that way. How many know if it's God's will, it's going to be awesome. If it's not, it's going to be a mess. Give God a hand clap of praise for that tonight. Come on, go ahead and give on this Wednesday night. Funny little side note here, when I was at Lee University and divorced from Pastor Hank, Pastor Hank just in the, he was only there for three weeks at Lee University, and then he left and got called to preach. But he started dating a girl named Elaine. She was a wonderful Baptist girl. And I told my best friends, only those that wouldn't commit me to an insane asylum, that um, we needed to agree that Hank would marry Elaine. Because if he married Elaine, I thought I could go on with my life. I can't tell you every day of my life that I've thanked God that I put a P.S. if it be your will. I'm going to tell you, always say, God, if it be your will, let this happen. Don't make demands. And some of us are driven in type A. We'll just keep pushing a door and pushing it and open it till it makes us sick. Can I get an amen from anybody that's ever done that before? I know it's right. Look at your neighbor and say, she's not talking to you. She's not talking to you talking to the people you'll help. So Balaam went on his journey to Moab, say Balaam and a donkey. And as he round, went around a bend with his servants riding his donkey, you'll never call a donkey a anymore. After you hear this story. The donkey came to a complete stop because he saw in the middle of the road an angel of the Lord with his sword drawn ready to strike. Rather than losing his life or the lives of the other people in the caravan, the donkey turned and ran into a field. Balaam, the owner, unable to see what the donkey was seeing, struck the donkey to get it back on the road. This time, the donkey crossed the road and crushed Balaam's foot against a wall on the other side. Like a good, loving master, Balaam the prophet responded by 
hitting it again. Someone say he hit it again. Balaam, not the donkey, should have seen the angel of the Lord. As a seer, Balaam was tuned in to the spiritual realm. Hang with me because this is about you and I. He should have identified the angel of the Lord. But he didn't see what was in front of him probably because he was too distracted by the rewards offered him for cursing Israel. Rewards for you and I are, I want, I want, I want. The lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh. I want this even if it consumes me. I want this relationship. I don't even care if they're right for me. If it consumes me, I want this. I want that. I want this type of career. I want this type of ministry. Often the Lord does work through your desires. But in this moment, and when you and I are blinded, I'm going to tell you up front right now, the reason I could not see that Hank Davis's life was changed for three stinking years of being divorced, that he was no longer an addict but was an anointed preacher, was because my heart was full of judgment. And my heart was focused on not doing that. The angel of the Lord continued blocking the path. So the donkey, the donkey, the donkey, cousin to the donkey, um, finally gave up and laid down on Balaam. He just laid down. Enraged, Balaam beats the donkey again. Bah humbug, Balaam. At that point, God opened the donkey's mouth. I want you to repeat after me. God opened the donkey's mouth. Mouth. This was a supernatural intervention. And oh, that God would do that for you and I. If we are headed down, Lord, let a dog, let one of those dogs on the greenway look at me and say, girl, you better stop thinking those negative thoughts, girl. I'm going to preach on Caleb taking the mountain this Sunday. And they say, girl, stop going around that mountain. So that <laughs> I've lost my part. I've gotten so excited about this little situation. Let me get it back, back down this. At this point, God opened the donkey's mouth and the donkey spoke to Balaam. What have I done to deserve a beating like this? Balaam, without realization that now he's talking to his donkey, said, you've made me look like a fool. In fact, if I had a sword in my hand, I would kill you. So the animal, uncommonly wise for a donkey, responds by God's intervention. This is just powerful. We've been together for a long time. I've been really good to you. Have I ever done like something like this before to you? No, Balaam answered back. Then Balaam's eyes were open. I want you to say Balaam's eyes are open. Thank God every time he opens your eyes before you're about to make the worst mistake of your life. Thank God that he shuts the door. If he has to get a donkey to speak, so be it. But thank God his eyes were open. He sees the angel of the Lord standing before him with his sword poised, ready to strike. Out of deep reverence and awe, this highly respected prophet, don't overlook, this is a prophet, fell on his face before the angel. And then the angel said, God doesn't like the mistreatment of animals, just putting that in there. Why did you beat your donkey? If it weren't for your donkey, I would have already killed you by now. I came to prevent you from going any further because you were going for the wrong reason. Had you continued, I would have struck you dead but your donkey turned away from me three times. You see, a prophet wasn't able to see even what a donkey could see because he was too invested with I need, I want, I desire. God wants to fill the desires of your heart, but I do remember many times in my past when I was single, and I think, Lord, it's my desire to have this man or, you know, whatever, a wonderful Christian young man at college. 
Lord, and I'd ask people that were helping me, do you think God would give me that desire? They said, well, God will give you the desire of your heart as it lines up with him, as your desire lines up with his desires. Listen to me. King Balak gave Balaam what appeared to be an offer he couldn't refuse. I'm going to give you money. Everyone say money. I'm going to give you stuff. Everyone say stuff. All you got to do is go curse this people called Israel. Many Christians would look at the same opportunity and think, well, look what the Lord has done. He opened the floodgates of heaven. This must be the will of God. I'm making my own tune now. But anyway, we look at something and it looks so good. You ever had something look so good and on the other side of it, you found out that was the worst thing ever for you. Give God a hand clap that you didn't walk through that door. But you see, committing to it would be resisting God. The first open door may not be his plan. Impatience keep us from expecting God's best. Number six, God can use circumstances in seemingly contradictory ways. Sometimes the circumstances speak to us, and other times God speaks, says, tell us to speak to the circumstance. So that's why sometimes it's hard to read circumstances because I've told you I've pastored people more in the early days. If a key didn't go in a lock, I'm not supposed to go to work today. If a vase fell off a shelf, <laughs> I don't even want to know who said amen over here. If a, if, a, <laughs> if a vase fell off a shelf, you know, I, this one a parishioner told me that one time. I was going to come Sunday morning. But right as we were eating breakfast, a vase fell off the shelf. And I said, truly, the Lord does not desire me to leave this house. And I was like, boy, if I didn't leave the house every time a vase fell off the shelf, I'd just be encamping there till Jesus comes. Can I get an amen? There's always, I want you to say, there's always hindrances. What we have to learn is when do the circumstances speak to us and when do we say, you know what, circumstance? You better line yourself up with God. Because if we're tea leaf readers then we become really weird people. And we're just, you know, weird. I'm going to see what, I'm going to throw a dice. If I get a number seven, the Lord wants me to go worship his son. But if not, I'm going to stay here and eat candy and lay in the bed. <laughs> oh, come on, seven. Come on, seven. You know, I've never gambled, but I've always wanted to do that. So there you go. But I've thrown dice in a mean Monopoly game. Come on now. Here's the deal. you got to know when. On the day the Lord healed my heart, three years after being divorced, three weeks after going back and forth to see evangelist Hank Davis, who God was using mightily. That's the whole process we don't have time for tonight. Some Sunday I'll share that testimony when I feel like emotionally I can handle it. But that day we were going that night, we thought to hear him speak the last time. His revival closed out, three-week revival in Cedar Valley. I mean, hundreds were saved. It was crazy on fire. Church ran thousands, and uh, a big ice storm came. And, you know, back then, thank God, we didn't have 17,000 weather reporters. Can I get an amen? We just had three, nine, and 12. <laughs> and my good friend Perry Kite, who's in heaven now, he and Melissa were dating, and my friends had been with me. We were going to go, and like, oh, this ice storm. Perry goes, let's pray about it. And they're like, if you get out tonight, you are going to die in a ditch. I mean, that's the way they sounded, but thank God we didn't have weather... Anyway, he said, I feel we're going to go. We prayed about it. We felt peace about it. We did, sometimes I could have taken that ice storm. It's God saying don't go. If you let the weather dictate everything you do in life, you will never get through life. Can I get an amen? Especially in snow blizzard Cleveland, Tennessee. Come on, somebody. It's true. So don't let circumstances keep you from doing the will of God. Learn, is this circumstance trying to hinder me? 
or is God speaking to me through it? We went on, and that night God, of course, healed my marriage. And the incredible thing about that for another time is that Hank Davis had had a vision January 1st that I would come back to him in a church service. So every time I came to hear him preach during those three weeks, you know, he, did, he wasn't eating. I, I just, today I just wanted to cry. I never thought how his heart must have been beating out of his chest every time I walked through that door at Cedar Valley. But you see, sometimes we got to say, you know what, God? The door's open doesn't mean I'm supposed to, but the door shut doesn't mean I'm not supposed to. Can I get an amen? It can all work. Look at your neighbor and say, amen, amen. Let's keep moving. Number seven, God may use circumstances to save us from future destruction. Sometimes a detour on the interstate of life is to get us from not being somewhere else or going the wrong place. One thing I loved about Pastor Hank, and he's come up a lot tonight, I don't know why, but whenever we'd have a flat tire, without fail, the children will tell you, without fail, he'd say, well, God's just sparing us from something else. I mean, the engine would blow up. Well, God's just, I said, well, is God going to send the 7,000 to fix the engine? Yes. Okay. But he always had this inner thing that if something happened like that, God was sparing you from something that was going to happen a mile up the road, that God would work it into his plan. God used a pig pen to get the prodigal where he needed to be. Um, I've learned that with helping people in recovery, until they get to the bottom, they usually don't want help. And the, a prodigal had to get in the pig pen. Jonah had to get in the belly of the... And that began to be the place. God can use anything. Someone say, God can, God can. use anything. Listen, circumstances like that donkey, first of all, tells us God went to great strength and, and you know, to help in that situation. He crushed his foot. Listen, Balaam could have, he cursed the donkey. He cursed the circumstance. His foot got hurt. All of this was God saying, stop, slow down. Someone say, stop, slow down. Sometimes we're just headway into what we want, what we want, what we want, regardless of what the word says or what the Lord says. A broken relationship can be a gift from God. Can I get an amen from anybody besides me that broke up with or had other people break up with you? Come on, lift your hands, you bunch of weak-willed Christians. No, just kidding. Just kidding. A, cancel, a canceled wedding, a lost promotion. All these may actually be an act of mercy. Can you say an act of mercy? Before we get to number eight, and we're going to sell through the end of this, Josh, if, if your keyboards are working, if you'll come up and help me. Um, I love that this donkey is the rational one. He said, am I not your donkey? The donkey sounds like a trial lawyer trying to present his case. I've never done this before. We get frustrated with five-minute delays at airports that are going to transport us at speeds that would have been unimaginable to our ancestors. Can I get an amen? We want it now, and we want it here. We usually want it now. But sometimes God puts obstacle in it, and sometimes God is not saying no. He's saying not yet. Everyone say not yet. So if there's a no, know that God is, might not be saying no. There may just be a comma. Number eight, the word reckless comes from the Hebrew word yarat, and it is the ancient equivalent of reckless driving. What does that mean? When, when the angel said, I, I stopped you, um, I came to oppose you because your path is reckless before me. What he was saying is, as the Lord has said to Rhonda Davis, your path is reckless. Some dark days of my life, 
especially when I was single, the Lord said, you are so headed down the wrong path. And even, even in, in ministry, when I would think that I was going to go this way or that way, the Lord said, that's reckless to me. doesn't mean it was anything bad or terrible. It means it's reckless because it is not the path I've chosen for you. And you're trying to veer here or you think this would be great or bless you. Or that would be great or this would be great. The word reckless is the equivalent of reckless driving. It's like over driving your car's headlight in the middle of a fog that you can't see. Don't be surprised if God doesn't slow you down sometimes with circumstances. Don't curse them. Don't be surprised if God gets in the way because he loves you too much to let you get headlong into it. If Balaam's donkey teaches us anything tonight, God can use anything to accomplish his purposes and he can do it anywhere, anytime, anyhow. Can I get an amen? The very cool thing, when we think it's no and it's not yet, we realize sometimes we put our dreams in God's hands and say, God, this has not happened yet, but I'm putting it in your hands. With an open hand, I'm asking you to fulfill it. I'm going to hold on to this dream if it's from you, but I'm going to put it in your hands. So many times, brothers and sisters, I've said there, there's times I thought certain things that I was over were just going to die and shrivel up. Nothing recently. You're just, they're just, I didn't want to go into it. I'll start crying. Things that the Lord gave me. and They went underground for a while. Sometimes I had to take a walk of it's yours, Lord. It's yours. If you do choose it, it would die. Then I give you glory for every day it lived. But if in your infinite will you would resurrect it, I will follow you. And God did that each and every time. But sometimes it just takes putting it, someone say putting it, in his hand. In his hand. God closes doors to protect us, to redirect us. Hope House sisters will tell you, Melissa, you've probably heard it a thousand times all the years I've come out there. They'll say, pray, Pastor Ron, they'll get a job at Schwampy Clompy. I'll just make up something. I'll say, I'll pray, but I'll pray God to shut the door if there's a trap laid for you in that place. If God has already been inside that place and he knows something's going to snare you, I'm going to ask him to just shut that door. God closes doors to give us the best. When I think about every door that the Lord has closed in, closed in my life, I think about number nine, God may use circumstances to get our attention. God may use circumstances to get our attention. Sometimes I would just say, Lord, it seems like you don't love me. I would, you know, especially when I was single and young. Dear Lord, full of the Holy Spirit, but lacking so much wisdom. Lord, you got in the middle of that relationship and you broke it up. Don't you love me? And the Lord would say, I have better. Like, not in my eyes, Lord. That's a wonderful man of God. It was, it was never the scallywags that I was dating, though I did date a few of those, but it was the good guys, the full of the Holy Spirit guys. If you know what scallywags is, ask your grandmother. But anyway, um, I'm starting to use my grandmother's words. This is scary. But the truth of the matter is, God closes doors to redirect us to say, you are fixing to accept less than best. I'm going to shut this door for you because my plans for you are so great. If you will just trust me and I will get your attention. God has such a cool way of doing things. I'm going to come back and tell you what happened at the end of Balaam. But that box on your paper, somewhere on there, it said a quick survey of Scripture reveals a God who always seems to show up in the right place at the right time. Someone say the right place at the right time. His timing is impeccable. 
but his methodology is unpredictable. You think he's going to come in the front door and he comes in the back door. You think he's going to come in the side door and he comes in another way. You think he's going to speak to you from a preacher and he speaks to you from a dog on the greenway. You know what I'm saying? He will use things to get our attention and to speak to us. His mythology. Um, a quick survey of scripture, as I just said, shows us so many interesting things. Listen to this verse. We're coming close to ending. We're still good. 756. As you enter the city, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples right before they went into him to have his life taken from him. As you enter the city of Jerusalem, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Someone say all furnished. Make preparations there. Now, this is so cool. You realize there was no internet, right? There was no phones. I mean, this is like, go to Walmart, go stand in the hardware department. But even with that, you could text somebody. You could send a, some kind of message. This is a divine word of knowledge and a crazy way that Jesus set up where he would break bread for the last time. He already ordained. And I mean, he told him, do you get this? He had a man walking right in front of here at the right time. Someone say at the right time. And he's identified because he's carrying a jar of water. Follow him to the house when you get into the house. But you don't think you can trust God. And I don't either. I wake up in the morning, a couple mornings this week after resurrection, which is just typical of a pastor. Just like, <gasps> you know, everything that's going to still happen for the year. You know, it just happens. I'm overwhelming. And God, how am I going to do this? What are we going to do about this? What's the answer to that? What's the answer to this? Oh, but Jesus can get a man carrying a jar of water at the same time he needs to carry it, get his disciples there in the very second he crosses this way and uses the house. But that Jesus can't take care of us. What do we think we are? Unloved, distant children of God. We are loved children of God. If he can do it that way, he can do it for us. Give him a praise. I'm almost done. Woo, woo, woo. So powerful. It sounds like some kind of youth group scavenger, doesn't it? Go find the woman with the pot on her head. Then follow her to the house with the brown squirrel. When the squirrel enters the left side of the building, I mean, but that's the way it happened. Look at your neighbor and say, that is the way it happened. And here's the cool thing. That same God divinely orchestrates things for you and me. He holds the whole world in the palm of his hand, but he holds us too. He holds every detail. He holds every situation. He holds every circumstance. He shuts doors. He opens doors. We think he can do all that, but somehow our children, any other mother wake up worrying about their children? Oh, my goodness. In the middle of the night praying for your children. I've got great kids, but it's just, I can't stop it. I just wake up. I'll just go into my prayer language for my, my, my babies. They're still babies to me. But my God loves us, our children, our workplaces, our family, the same God that can orchestrate such a ridiculous story. To me, someday I'm going to say, Jesus, why did you do it that way? And I bet he's going to say, just to impress you, sister. Just to impress you. Then there's another one. There's one more and we're almost done. And then there's the instructions Jesus gave Peter. Jesus had to pay taxes. And he says in Matthew 17, I think is what I wrote, go to the lake and throw out your line. Now, Peter was a consummate fisherman. I mean, that's probably why God used this to show him 
Sometimes in your, your expertise is when you need God the most. And you throw the line, take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you'll find a four, drop my coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. How crazy is that? Someone say crazy. But I'm going to tell you something. God loves doing miracles in different ways. God was showing Peter. Peter, I'm going to be gone here a little bit. Holy Spirit's going to come. You're going to miss me and want to see me and talk to me. Or wouldn't we all love that? But in moments that you doubt the provision is going to come, in moments you wonder how I will get things done, remember the day I sent you out there and you threw the line and there was a coin to pay our taxes. If God can put a coin in a fish's mouth, God can help you pay the taxes on your house. Come on, somebody. If God can put a coin in the fish's mouth, God can help you to pay your bills. You are children of the Most High God. Give Him one more praise tonight. So awesome. Almost done. He loves to do things in powerful ways. And He loves surprising us when and where he least, we least expect it. Jesus could have provided that tax payment in a much more conventional manner. I mean, we're talking here about talking donkeys. Everyone say talking donkeys. And a fish that spits out coins. That's like me going down here in the lake and a coin has a Bitcoin in it. <laughs> Seems to work. Uh, silver or gold. But I want to ask you this in conviction. Please hear me. How do you read the Bible? Do you read it like a history book? Or do you read it like it's living and active? Do you read as if God has finished what he's doing? Or do you believe that God wants to do it again and again and again? Most of us read the Bible with the wrong way or the wrong way with low expectations. We should read it with this core conviction. If we do what they did in the Bible, God will do for us what he did for them. Why? Because he's the same. Amen. And if we take it one step further, he'll do even greater things. Do we need to hear his voice any less than they did? Oh, no. Do we need few miracle, fewer miracles? No. Do we need fewer gifts? Do we need fewer signs? Do we need fewer open doors and closed doors? The answers are, say it with me. There you go. <laughs> there you go. So let me say this. We'll do our lesson. We'll be done. If you don't know the end of the story, it's so cool. And I didn't have it in here. And, and when I was getting ready, Holy Spirit said, tell them the end of the story. And I said, yes, sir. Yes, sir. How did I hear that? Any, any thought smarter than me has got to be him. Trust me. You see, the angel of the Lord told Balaam, go with these men, but only say what I tell you. So Balaam went with Balak's officials. But every time that Balak would take him to, he'd go to four different places to see the tribes of Israel down in the valley. He'd say, curse them from here. Every time he went to curse them, he said, I cannot curse what God has blessed. He took him to another place and he looked down. He said, and this is where the famous verse that I love, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should change his mind. What he has promised, he will declare. These people are blessed of the Lord. And whoever blesses them will be blessed. And whoever curses them will be cursed. And then Balak got mad. He took him to the third place and took him to the fourth place. But every single time, I'm telling you this for a reason, that Balaam went to curse the people of God, he could not do it. Why? Because God blesses his children. A curse without cause cannot light. Don't you be scared of a curse from any evildoer. Jesus Christ will keep you in the blessing. Someone give him a hand clap of praise. He said, I cannot reverse it. He said, the Lord God is with them. And the shout of the king is among them. That's like a whole nother sermon, but it's powerful. 
Next time you question, I've heard people saying, I think I'm cursed. Don't you ever say that. Don't you ever say that. You say, I am blessed. I am blessed. The Lord blesses me and keeps me. The Lord makes his face shine upon me. The Lord is gracious unto me. Don't ever receive those kind of word curses. So it was powerful. And a lot of people believe, you probably heard this, that when he looked down for number 10, and it said he took him to where the Israel was camped out in the valley, and he looked at the tribes in formation. Everyone say the tribes in formation. Guess what formation the tribes were in? The cross. They didn't know. They didn't know. Study it out. Study it out. They didn't know. It's just the way they chose. So when he looked down, he saw the formation of the cross. I'm so glad that every time the enemy has tried to curse you and I, he has to look through the blood of Jesus. We may have hurts, habits, hang-ups, obstacles, mountains, and attacks, but we are the blessed of the Lord. Amen. Number 10, God loves doing miracles in different ways, and God loves surprising us when and where we least expect it. The last statement of tonight, may God sanctify our expectations so that we're on par with Scripture. Everyone say, on par with Scripture. May we pray with the same kind of expectancy that Billy Graham prayed when he visited the great revivals of England. He said, Lord, do it again. Will you say that with me? Lord, do it Would anybody like to see revival tear up this church in a good way? Come on, would anybody like to see revival hit this community? Lord, do it again. Sanctify our expectations that we get on par with you. Because the closing box is this. One of two things will happen over time. Either your theology will conform to your reality and your expectations of God and what he can do will get smaller and smaller until you hardly believe God for anything. Or your reality will conform to your theology and your expectations will get bigger and bigger and bigger until you can believe God for absolutely everything. Let's give him a hand clap for the word tonight and I'll bless you. Father, thank you for your word tonight. Thank you, Lord God, that just humorously we are sometimes like that little puppy, Lord. And we feel just drawn from side to side and we just wonder how everyone's hearing from you and and we're not to the degree we want to. Lord, we want to open ourselves up tonight to be trained by you. Holy Spirit, speak for your servants are listening. Through a song, through a word, Lord, bring those things to our remembrance. Speak through circumstances, maybe watching someone mow a lawn and we just get this thought, this proverb about that. You're speaking in that. Or when we see kindness expressed in our workplace, we just think, man, that's the kindness of God. In our children's faces, Lord, allow us to see you in our circumstances, help us. And Lord, I pray tonight for more talking donkeys. I pray for things to get in our way when we're headed down the wrong path. Lord God, stop us with closed doors. Get us back on the right road, Lord. Use our detours for your glory. Lead and guide us according to your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we welcome you in closing that you would teach and guide us and remind us of all things. We surrender our life into your hands. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen, amen. Thank you so much for coming.